Do you know what nemesis means? Hello and welcome to Direct, the podcast that takes a direct trajectory through a director's filmography. I'm Eric. I'm Levi. Edgar Wright is the director that we watched all of his movies in a row. Levi, 30 seconds or less, please give me your review of Edgar Wright. I want to hang out with Edgar Wright. I feel like he would be Mm -hmm. a perfect fit for a co-host for you while I'm out (laughs) on paternity leave. Um, so let's just line that up, make it happen. He's fantastic. I think his yeah. breadth and skill are so well done in the first, in the Cornetto trilogy and Scott Pilgrim and blows it hot. Damn. I can't wait to see how good his movies are eight in. I mean, blows it right out of the water. He didn't blow it. He did a great job, obviously. Um, also he's probably got nothing going on, so I will give him a quick call. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're done. It's not a. Cornetto quadrilogy so i mean <laughs> i think the thing that really stands out to me is that we only had four edgar wright movies i can't believe we've done this we're a month in our edgar wright uh edgar wright journey but only four movies and such a huge impact to me as you know as as a filmmaking presence that's what edgar wright is to me like he is somebody that we have to pay attention to in the filmmaking landscape. He makes awesome movies that touch you on so many levels because they're real and yet they're completely fantastical. He straddles that line that I think gets lost a lot, especially in genre films, of making movies that are both entertaining and, you know, touch your heart a little bit. And I, Edgar Wright is the type of director that makes Pixar movies for adults, basically. <laughs> You know, they're fantastical, they, they have wonderful set pieces, they're nerd, um, they're nerd, I don't know what the word is, catnip, and <laughs> and they're just, but at the same time, they, they really do have a heart at the center of them, and they explore complex issues, and they ask big questions, and it's pretty damn amazing that this guy, who is only four movies into his filmmaking career, has had such a huge impact on the nerd world. The Pixar analogy is such a good one because who else do you know that make a movie about a robot where there's no dialogue for the first <laughs> hour? Yeah. Uh, they start up by making everybody cry, mm-hmm. and then it's a movie about a house being drunk around by balloons. Right. And some old guy and a dumb kid. <laughs> I mean, and they all have so much. Yeah. Or your mo- the mom dies. The mom dies right at the beginning. The mom is murdered by a predator at the beginning of the movie. That's the opening scene, and then, uh, and then the little uh, handicapped uh, baby man um, gets lost, <laughs> and that's that is the movie. Now we got to go find him because he's been abducted. For all we know, Wait, <laughs> yeah, what exactly. movie are you referencing? Finding should... Nemo. Oh, okay. Finding Nemo. I was totally lost there for a second. Finding Nemo. Oh. You know that would be an interesting journey. It, it, it doesn't follow direct, but doing a uh, doing a Pixar oh, watch Pixar would run? be really interesting. Oh, that would be a good, especially okay. because they had the you know there's the just even if you just watch the original set because they had mm-hmm. whatever it was like their first eight were called out in advance. 
Uh-huh. Um, yeah, they're all drawn on a dinner napkin in 1994. Yeah, and it yeah. was a rat who is a chef. Yep. So Edgar Wright, uh, I wonder if they had the Cornetto trilogy sketched out in advance. I've I, never heard anything in that to that effect, but maybe that's maybe that is spaced. You know, they ex- for everything that they explored in their weird little TV show, did they <laughs> sum it all up? Their experiences and their wit into the into the three. I have to imagine that they didn't, and for a couple reasons. One of them is that the Cornetto trilogy is was a moniker dubbed by fans. I think that Cornetto was just kind of a, um, you know, it was just kind of a, a, a kind of an inside joke that Edgar Wright inserted into his movies, and it became a thing to the point where they had to put Cornetto in the world's end, even though it wasn't physically there as an ice cream. <laughs> substance you know it was available as a label just to help wrap it up um but i have to think that you know quentin tarantino's first two movies reservoir dogs and pulp fiction could have been seen as similar genre films but nobody decided to call them a start calling them the you know blood and betrayal trilogy or something (laughs) you know um or bad cameo trilogy or something like that you know so (laughs) These are all great names. Let's yeah, keep, keep going. And 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 like I said before, I would love to see Tarantino return to the early '90s crime story, L.A. crime story. I think that that didn't quite get there with Jackie Brown, and I would love to see kind of a trilogy esque thing between Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and another project. Um, but we don't have to talk about Quentin Tarantino. But I, I don't I don't think that they probably had these things sketched out. And the other thing that makes me think that is that. In reflection, uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz are two almost parodies, whereas The World's End, while it includes aliens, isn't really a send-up of an alien movie. It really is kind of its own beast. Uh, And I don't know, man. His next movie is Baby Driver. Maybe we should talk about that for a second. I haven't actually. I've read the title. I think we Mm -hmm. got into this. Maybe when we knew it was Edgar Wright, and I looked and I bitched about the title, mm-hmm. and you laid in, you <laughs> chastised me for being so quick to judge. What do we know about this movie? I'll pull it up on IMDb. And yeah, well, along. the thing about it is that Shaun of the Dead is a dumb title. Hot Fuzz is a dumb title. <laughs> the World's End is a pretty tongue-in-cheek title. Like I don't, I'm not judging Edgar Wright on his titles. He maybe he maybe he uh, maybe his titles are his own little artistic vision, and that's. That's for him to know, and then he just gobs on great genre filmmaking on top of it that's beautiful and timeless and <sighs> wonderful. <laughs> uh, so the cast for – this is what I wanted to check. So it was written directly by Edgar Wright. So I think the thing that makes a movie part of the Carnetto trilogy is that it has to be written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg yeah. as a writing team. So – Baby Driver is not. It's apparently it's an action crime thriller. It's set to debut in uh, thirteen months on the seventeenth of March, twenty seventeen. Um, it stars Lily James and Eliza Gonzalez. This is the portion of the show called Eric reads the IMDb page. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> so, at Lily James. I mean, yeah. Pride and Prejudice Zombies, high on my list of to sees. Uh, Wrath I think she of the was Titans. Cinderella in I the Cinderella I think I saw movie. the first one, but I don't remember. Oh, you're talking Wrath of the Titans. What was the first one, though? Wasn't there it another? It was Clash of the Titans, Clash of the my Titan. Okay, so this is a sequel. I, I missed this one. I don't know mm-hmm. how. And then Eliza Gonzalez, who I guess is in From Dusk Till Dawn, the series, which is on the El Rey Network, which is owned by Robert Rodriguez, who's BFFs with Quentin Tarantino, who wrote the screenplay for From Dusk Till Dawn. You could tell me that Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino were living together and then brought in Edgar Wright as a third roommate, and I'd believe it 100%. Also, I don't think it's Eliza... Gonzalez, but I don't know how you actually pronounce it looking at it. Oh, it's Isa. There's no L. I guess if it was if you're using the Spanish pronunciation, it would be Aiza. I think that's probably correct. Aiza Gonzalez. Well, yeah, because Spanish, unlike English, all of the letters sound the same in every word. In English, it's like, well, sir, you put that C next to an E, which means it's actually an S. Anyway, I digress on my... <laughs> Grammar lessons, but then we also have Kevin Spacey. We have this guy named John Hamm. He's that ugly guy from Mad Men. You know, the guy who never got the girl. Jamie Foxx. Uh, he was in a Kanye song, I believe. Um, I think he was in that Quentin Tarantino movie we watched. Oh, he was. That's right. So they're just trading him back and forth now. <laughs> There's a connection. Ansel uh, Elgort, Insurgent and Divergent. Nice. <laughs> So I'm guessing there's a there's going to be a teen bent to this. And the thing about this, dude, is that all of these little teeny actors that are in this movie, if this follows the same uh, trajectory as Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, all of these kids are going to be huge in like four years. <laughs> yeah, we're we're laughing we're talking, now at their at their yeah. uh, filmography, but no, ten years time see, we'll be like, oh my god, Lily James is the next Ansel Anna Elgort. Yep, Ansel Elgort is the next uh, uh, Casey Affleck. He wasn't in Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever, whatever Macaulay Culkin's brother's name is. Kieran Culkin. Uh, Hal Whiteside is going to be the next Captain America. <laughs> Who's Hal Whiteside? <laughs> I don't know. Click on his picture. It's a great picture. He's like kind of coming into the frame. Yeah. As if the photographer caught creepily. him off guard. <laughs> creepily drifting in. Actually, the, the the right side of his face past his eyebrow is is horribly misshapen. So they, they kept that out of his headshot. Um, this is great, man. This is another great idea for a podcast as Eric and Levi Discuss click through pictures. IMDb. <laughs> yeah, this, this should be a new show where we just start on a movie and then we just click through an IMDb rabbit hole and discuss it. Uh, each uh, each episode is three hours. Just um, surfing it, the IMDb, bro. It'll be the uh, <laughs> it'll be the Lawrence of Arabia of podcasts, <laughs> and it'll be called "I Am the Best." Nailed uh, it in one. Yep. <laughs> what are we talking about? Oh, date baby driver. So yeah, um, no synopsis so far on the old "I Am the Best." Um, but uh, but yeah, it's coming out soon. So that's his next movie. Doesn't look like it's going to be a Cornetto movie. I am interested to see what it's all about. Kevin Spacey, though, man, that guy drives me a little bit crazy. In a good way? No, <laughs> I don't know, man. Every time, 
every time I see him, I, I don't know. We could talk about we could talk about House of Cards, but uh, wasn't a huge fan of the last season of House of Cards. Um, and every time I see him, it looks like his face has become more and more silly putty, and it's <laughs> and it's really trying to get to the nearest tanning bed um, as 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 quickly as possible, and flying off of his jowls. Anyway, Baby Driver is the next movie. That's my point. <laughs> And my point is my point has been made. <laughs> this has been I am the best. Back this to Edgar the, Wright. This is the I am the best podcast. <laughs> so yeah, back to Edgar Wright. The thing that I really want to encourage people to do is go to the Chainsaw Suit. Uh, this, this sounds like it's out of left field. That it sounds like I'm making this up. There's a Chainsaw Suit. Uh, YouTube channel. Chainsaw Suit is made by Chris Straub, who is in the Penny Arcade family. So if you know Penny Arcade, it's these two guys, Mike Rahulik and Jerry Holkins. They live here in Seattle. They run this little uh, this little convention called the Penny Arcade Expo, which is the largest consumer gaming convention in the country. They've also done pop-up ones now in Boston, one in uh, in San Antonio, and then one down in Australia. So they are kind of the king of the nerd world, and they're BFFs with this guy, Chris Straub. Um, he's, he does web comics online, and he has content online, and one of the things that's on his YouTube channel is his buddy Mikey, who makes these uh, videos called Movies with Mikey. And the way that I came across this video is that it was uh, sent to us by Davey Mack in the forums, but it was also tweeted out by the man himself, Edgar Wright. And there's two mo- there's two videos on here. They're each about ten minutes long. One of them's about Scott Pilgrim versus the World. The other one's about the World's End. And I really recommend going out and watching these if you are an Edgar Wright fan because they, you know, if you listen to us for an hour talk about this stuff, you could spend another twelve minutes because this guy's got some really really good insight um, into all of these movies and why they're cool and why they're awesome. But the thing that I just really love about it is that. That kind of got revealed to me as I was watching these move these videos today on YouTube is that Edgar Wright is such a layered director. This guy, this guy is can put so many things into a movie. And the thing that I love about him is that all of all of the things that motivate and all of the messages that he wants to say and all this stuff it doesn't have to do with the story. It's not story driven content. It's character driven content. And character-driven content is the most interesting content. It's how you build up these epic characters that you want to dress up as for Comic-Con. Like, this is the type of filmmaking that gets fans excited. And he, he, you know, this is what makes you excited for Batman. And what he does is he takes Batman, who's got a huge character motivation and all of this stuff in his past, and everything, all of his decisions are, you know, based on his childhood trauma of seeing his parents murdered in front of him. There's all that wonderful stuff, but this is wrapped up in like I'm 20 years old and my and I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with my life, and I feel like I'm a massive failure. <laughs> you know, there's there's the the all the drama is based in low stakes reality that we actually experience, which I think is what makes these movies resonate so well with people. I uh, that's. I mean, I don't know. I could put it any better. That's it. His ability to include such depth with so much action and comedy mm-hmm. has just, especially in this watch through, we've just done with a, a a keen eye out for it. It's amazing. Like you know, we had such a deep dive with Shaun of the Dead and the 
the reality of their situation and and then there's all the zany zombie <laughs> attack but at the end we're still you know sad that ed is bit yeah and still dicking around but yeah. <laughs> sean has come to terms terms with his life and in hot hot fuzz i think is a little bit less emotional but hot yeah. world's end is so moving super, super emotional uh, hot fuzz is really a send up of both horror movies and action movies which i love like all of the all of the murders that happen during the show are like based in slasher films and then all of the hero stuff is based in the violent american hero that gets perpetuated all the time like we talked about it a lot in our tarantino discussion how much we just love the violent american hero stepping in there and just crushing everyone it's amazing so it's great to use those two things juxtaposed against each other to kind of be almost a criticism of kind of the the macho uh, man culture that we that we prescribe to as as you know adolescent privileged people here's something that you talk about the american hero something I don't think we touched on this entire run is that these are British films and Mm -hmm. that didn't, well, you go back and watch older films. And I think I pulled this from the commentary on hot fuzz. You didn't used to highlight that. Oh, this is a British film. Oh, this is an American film. But in the last, I think 20 or 30 years, it's become much more evident. What's a British film. What's an American film for the average film goer. Yeah. These movies, walk i mean <laughs> they they don't feel like a british film in the sense of uh harold and maude um i'm trying to think through i have a very short list of british how, films how about like snatch like the guy Ritchie movies like yeah. snatch and lockstock i mean well how uh, you say those those are actually they have a similar rhythm mm-hmm. but they don't i don't know there's something more these do not feel as British as Snatch and Lockstock. Well, I, they're just really accessible, man. And I mean, I think part of the reason I have to be candid here. I think part of the reason why they're so accessible is because they're made for white twenty-year-old nerds. Like that is what these movies are made for. Uh, and I do think that they might pers- they might um, illustrate a very very particular type of person that resonates very particularly with us because. We're all kind of on that same wavelength. So maybe they don't escape this demographic, but for this demographic, they resonate strongly. Um, I don't know. And maybe the Britishness is part of that. I think it's easy for us to fall into that. I think that we are. And that's the... the st- I, you, you look at the Oscar nominations. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm especially this year yeah. and a lot of other years, but this year is again, uh, you know, the film industry is unfortunately geared towards us and that's, and we enjoy it, but we yeah. do, I think the industry suffers for it for a lack of diversity. Um, yeah. Also, Oh, never mind. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I got distracted <laughs> and I was, I was thinking about like female directors because, now that we've come out of Quentin Tarantino, where we had a conversation about, uh, especially during Kill Bill, the the role of the powerful female character, and mm-hmm. you know we have we enjoy it, but 
is it a strong female character? It's hard for us to gauge is white. So I was looking up the only female director that immediately comes to my mind, which is Catherine Bigelow with the Hurt Locker. Yeah. And I'm looking at her director. She did Point Break? Yeah. I didn't know that. Didn't know that? That's like, that's like, her, I that's like that's, a big movie, man. That's a, a white dude film. That is Patrick <laughs> well, Swayze and Keanu Reeves. It does you not got me get there, man. much wider. You got me there. You do got me there. And not to mention that is the movie that is blatantly referenced in Hot Fuzz. Oh, we so. should make sure that she goes on a future list of things that we could yeah, watch. We'll get I'd to, love to. We'll get to the... Uh, I mean, she's directed so many movies. She's been she's been in the game for a very long time. Um, but yeah, Point, Point Break was kind of the big breakout uh, breakout thing for her. Yeah, she's been in the filmmaking game since 1981, man. Um I think the only movies that I've seen from her, I've actually seen K nineteen, The Widowmaker. Yeah, I remember that one. I had that on DVD. Really? <laughs> yes. I feel like that's one I didn't need to go back to, but no, it was funny. I we didn't buy it. My mom got it like for free, so <laughs> we just we only had like four DVDs growing up as a kid, so that was one of them because my mom got it for free. We also had uh, well on VHS we had The Preacher's Wife. Uh, which is a Whitney Houston Christmas movie, <laughs> and then and it starts Denzel Washington as an angel who comes and uh, helps Whitney Houston's family uh, get through a tough time at Christmas. It's actually a very good. It never Sounds gets beautiful. talked about for Christmas movies. We watched The Preacher's Wife a lot when I was a kid, mostly because it was the only tape we had. We had that, and then we had uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Was how like did you the, grow up? For all of your love of movies, how did you oh. grow up in such a film-starved household? Well, it was a type of thing of like you don't know what you got uh, until you get until it gets revealed to you. And I don't know. I mean, I guess we went and watched a lot of movies in the theater. I mean, my first cinematic, my very first cinematic experience was watching The Jungle Book animated, and it was like one of those like Tuesday afternoon kids come free things to the. Uh, to the movieplex and my daycare like took me to go see the jungle book and then but like i also remember going to see so seeing jurassic park in the theater when i was seven years old i got a new pair of shoes that day and i like put my new shoes up on the seat in front of me so i could look at my new shoes and watch this like amazing uh pg-13 movie when i was seven you know i we watched a lot of movies we just didn't you know we went to hollywood video all the time we rented a lot of movies we just never bought movies i don't know anyway and unlike your family, man, you ha- you were one of those families that had the whole bookshelf full of yeah. We had VHS a bookshelf. <laughs> I still, I'm just now. I I'm got a diehard collection of like ten DVDs I've held on to, and I got rid of the rest. And <laughs> yeah, me too. Digitized and welcome yep. to the future, Edgar. But Wright. in my collection, by the way, I will <laughs> say this: in my DVD collection, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, and The World's End are in there. Nice. In my li- very limited DVD collection that I have now. Stellar. Yeah. Um, what were you going to say? I don't know. Just Edgar Wright. I Edgar I Wright. really enjoyed this. The watching these, and you know, I think we've kind of hit the the major points, and yeah, I always kind of enjoy. I enjoy now at the end, and maybe that's really what these end casts are nice for the the prologues, epilogues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um is connecting with other directors now. You know, we talk about yeah. Tarantino and, you know, the the British perspective and whether or not that exists. And then you bring in Catherine Bigelow as other perspectives of directors. Mm-hmm. 
it's I'm just enjoying this. Well, yeah, and I'd also like to put in Sofia Coppola in that because I generally really, really enjoy Sofia Coppola's movies, and I also, uh, I mean, she's got a lot of great movies, but Lost in Translation is one of somebody is like one of the top movies that people constantly reference as a great, great film. Um, so, want to do that as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about the next director that we should do. Um, and we don't have to end the conversation today, but I'd like to talk about it. And then the second thing is I'd like to just talk about, before we talk about new, new directors, I'd like to talk about Edgar Wright-isms. And what can we take away and what are we going to be looking for when we watch Baby Driver? So on this Edgar Wright journey, the, I think there are a few things that I that I really stand out to me as Edgar Wright-isms. First of all, if there's a montage at the beginning of the movie, I will pay strict attention to it because it is going to mirror the plot for shiz. Like, definitely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The synchronicity yes. is going to be there. That's the... I think you're absolutely right. That's number mm-hmm. one. And I'm curious to see how Baby Driver... Because it's written by him. So it's mm-hmm. it's going to be this weird middle ground between... We have the Simon Pegg, Cornetto movies, yeah. where those are, I think, strongly influenced by their sense of humor, their combined sense of humor. We yeah. have Scott Pilgrim, where it was Edgar Wright's writing, but from a very strong reference material. He had a co-writer on that And as no well. Simon Pegg. Yep. So what is it for Edgar Wright to write a movie, direct the movie, but no Simon <laughs> Pegg? What... I think we'll see what his sense of humor is. And it'd be cool to see, kind of pick out the differences and determine, you know, this is where their senses of humor diverge. What does he lean into more? Yeah, what does he lean into? But the other thing about this is, like, just layer on, just lather on that symbolism. Fill every frame with as much symbolism as you could possibly put in there. Put in numbers, put in words, put in signs, put in music. Uh, so at the beginning of The World's End, there's a scene where it seems like, uh, what is his name? Gary King is in an AA meeting. But if you look at that scene, everybody in the scene is wearing hospital bracelets. So, you know, it's, so it's kind of that thing that, oh, it's not an AA meeting. It's actually a suicide support group. But you don't notice that stuff. So it's like, just everything is layered on so beautifully throughout each movie. Like, and I guess the thing that we should keep in mind on Baby Driver is don't t- you don't have to take it all in on the first viewing. The thing that makes Edgar Wright such a unique director is that you can watch his movies over and over and over again. You're going to get something new every time because he does lather on that symbolism so strongly. He's um, yeah, I agree that the the watching for those references and reading deep, I'm. It'll be exciting to go and watch it a year from now. Who knows how much of you know this information will retain and yeah. really be actively. But his movies are great to just watch. Like you don't. It's <laughs> not like some of the more serious directors where, like David Lynch, I'm always paying. You're trying to absorb yeah. everything at once, and that yep. can be really difficult and make for a very intense film watching it's a it's a way of watching a movie but it's not quentin tarantino's fun (laughs) slapdash let's murder some fools kind of method (laughs) and i think edgar wright falls much more on this side of it's enjoyable 
but then you see it on HBO a month later, and then you rent it to show somebody else to, and you know, a month after that, and you go back a couple times, and there's something to go back to. Yeah. Um. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. There's just, I just can't wait, man. I just can't wait <laughs> for for Baby Driver to come out. I just love Edgar Wright so much. The other thing, and I just want to touch on it, is the thing that I like about Edgar Wright is that he doesn't care about killing his characters mid-movie like you got to give the guy props for being willing to off characters throughout the movie and it gives you a great sense of suspense because you don't know who's safe it's like the walking dead you know like anybody could die at any moment at the end of Shaun of the dead i wouldn't have predicted that ed would become a zombie but he does um and in the middle of the world's end two of the guys die and it's just kind of like all right one of them you barely even acknowledge it in oh man you barely (laughs) acknowledge that he got killed the second one you know his body gets snatched but before he gets killed he gets to have vengeance on his bully so you know uh give him props on that one but it's kind of great how he just murders people in the middle of his movies and then you're just like wow it adds a great amount of suspense. It also allows characters to develop. I mean, when Sean's mom dies in Shaun of the Dead, pretty interesting. Before we get to directors, and real quick, uh, Levi, this should be fast since there's only four of these movies. Can you rank these movies? What, what's your favorite Edgar Wright movie and uh, all the way down to your least favorite? Oh, God. It's, it's, it's not hard that it's only four of them. It's hard because... I want to say They're Scott beautiful. Pilgrim because visually and mm-hmm. I think emotionally that movie is the most enrapturing in me. Um, Scott Pilgrim's your first one, I think so. Um, okay, and it's a and it's a struggle to put there because I consider it to be kind of the most profane. It's the most yeah, outside of his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I know it's not original to his his. I consider it, I guess, less of a work of his own personal art where the other three are so he's got plenty of stuff on there man i mean he did a master class in in comic book adaptations with that movie but i'd have to i think for watchability which is what i always like to rate these probably scott pilgrim uh the world's end because it's so unique and so emotional uh shawn of the dead because at the time it was such a profoundly interesting movie in my life it was so unique at the time, and then yep. that leaves Hot Fuzz, I guess, for the end. Well, congratulations on being completely wrong. <laughs> Again, um, is it completely well, opposite like last time? It's not. Uh, <laughs> actually, it kind of is. So for me, it's funny because it changed going into this. It, going into this watching, um, Hot Fuzz was my favorite Edgar Wright movie. Uh, after watching all four in sequence, The World's End's my favorite Edgar Wright movie. That movie... I need to watch it like four more times. It's it, it's such a layer cake, and I need to just delve into each of those layers. Uh, so that's my that's my top choice. My second is Hot Fuzz, uh, still retaining a high place on the throne. My third is actually Scott Pilgrim, which also surprises me. Um, uh, but on this watch, it's just a it's just a damn good movie. And then my fourth would actually be uh, Shaun of the Dead for much of the same reasons as to why I ranked Reservoir Dogs so lowly in my Tarantino ranking. It's just, it's a great movie. It's awesome. It's it's a really impressive feat from a first-time filmmaker. But if we're going to judge all of these things on their own merit, 
uh, I think Shaun of the Dead is the roughest around the edges, and that's that's why I have to rank it fourth. Which is interesting, man. Going into this, my ranking would have been Hot Fuzz number one, Shaun of the Dead number two, uh, World's Ed number three, and Scott Pilgrim number four. Coming out of the journey, my top choice is The World's End. My second is Hot Fuzz. My third is Scott Pilgrim, and my fourth is Shaun of the Dead. So Shaun dropped from second place all the way down to fourth place after watching these movies one more time. That being said, all great movies. I'd watch them all immediately. You say, hey, Eric, we want to watch any of these movies. I'm, I'm in. Let's pop some popcorn, baby. And I think my rankings would change on any day of the week. You, you yeah, know, they I could. could. I could see something next week that hit me in a different direction, and then I'd be like, you know what? Shaun of the Dead, that story of friendship, you know, to the bitter end, that just yeah. got me right there. And it's one of those movie-going experiences. I actively remember going to the theater for that one. <laughs> that was the beginning of the zombie craze. Like, zombies were still a novelty at that point. Yeah. Um, now that was a resurgence of the zombie stop, craze. <laughs> stop making zombie movies. Everybody, just no more. Let's give it a rest. Okay, let me ask you this question. Edgar Wright comes out with a Shaun of the Dead TV series on AMC. Are you going to watch it? <laughs> I'm going to watch the after show talking <laughs> Shaun with Chris Hardwick and just oh, catch God. up that way. I'd catch up on Bald Move, man. <laughs> Be pot of the dead. I finally gave Aaron. up on The Walking Dead. This yeah. season I've just checked out. I didn't even bother starting it. Well, I stopped watching after the third episode, so I'm no, I'm no one to talk. <laughs> All right, let's talk quickly about directors here. We talked about a couple prospective directors in Catherine Bigelow and Sofia Coppola. Um, I know that we we put together a, a survey before we did the short run directors, um, uh, and that survey was Wes Anderson, Paul Thomas Anderson, David Fincher, and Christopher Nolan. But I think, just like the Oscars, we got to get into 2016, and we're going to have to get some fucking diversity in that group. Uh, not to mention, I, we talked about it last time, I'd love to get a little difference in the movies. We Not to knock Edgar Wright and Quentin Tarantino, they're wonderful directors and they're lyrical directors, but I'd love to have a little bit more breadth and breathing room to where we can really try to see the nuances of how these directors tackle different stories. So um, there's also a couple, you know, I think we should look internationally. I'd love to get Guillermo del Toro on that list, although he is a genre director. Uh, I'd love to see Alejandro Gonzalez and Aritu, obviously, with the amazing work that he's done recently, but also stretching all the way back to his film history. Um, and gosh, I'm, I'm, what is the Children of Men director? Uh, is that not Alejandro? No, it's um, uh, Alfonso Cuaron. Who oh, directed, yeah. Uh, Children of Men, he directed... Itamama uh, Tambien, which has been on my list for 10 years and I haven't seen it. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, he also directed a little movie called Gravity. You've never seen Itamama Tambien? I'm pretty sure it's on Netflix. I know. That's what I'm saying. It's been on since Netflix started... <laughs> And I put it on the list, and it just never made it to the top of the queue. Things always got in front of it. And I think that it would be interesting, too, with a director like uh, like Alfonso Cuaron, um, because we'd also be watching some foreign films. We'd be watching some subtitles, which Love I like. subtitles. You know, it'd be interesting to see that foreign perspective. And I think we also need to make sure that we don't neglect uh, Asian cinema as well. Um 
uh, because there's some amazing directors in Korea, and we could look at Hong Kong. Um, oh, who did the host? Uh, ooh, that one. Um, there's also um, once again we're back to I am the best. Yeah, <laughs> Jun Ho Bong, uh, uh-huh. Snowpiercer. The yep, host yep. is fantastic. Um, he would be another great one. Steve McQueen. Yep. We still, Steve McQueen. I still have to see Twelve Years a Slave, and I'm going to save it for when we do Steve McQueen. <laughs> well, not... I don't know, man. I, I don't, I don't think it's fair. I think we should try to pick our next director. Should be somebody that we can cover over about two months. Um, so I'm looking for somebody in the ten movie range around gotcha. there. Uh, there's also Jiwon Kim or Jiwoon Kim. He uh, is a really, really, really prolific. Um, uh, I believe he's Korean. I believe he's Korean um, director, but he's kind of the. He's I don't know. He's he's the only movie that I've seen from him is the Good, the Bad, and the Weird, which is a really really interesting movie. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's he did Chaser, which has gotten a lot of you know awesome um, awesome criticism. There's there's I Saw the Devil, which is in the same boat. So it'd be really interesting to see that as well. So I think we got to go uh, diverse on this, and I think we'll we'll definitely go uh, try to try to really spread it out and pick some directors that are real different. Um, and I would love to get Paul Thomas Anderson in that mix as well because I feel like he's my favorite current director behind the Coen Brothers, and I don't think we want to watch seventeen movies, but maybe <laughs> at some maybe. point we should. And we have also talked about just developing themes within a director, just picking a time period. Mm-hmm. Um, True that, or maybe do we do the Pixar run? Who knows? Yeah, I mean, we could do Brad Bird, and then we'd cover like four Pixar movies <laughs> and the Iron Giant. Oh, uh, uh, I've been trying. I've been meaning to go back and watch that movie for a long time because I remember it's the first. Remember, I really remember movie. I remember making me cry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, did he not do the? Oh, yeah, he did. He did the Iron Giant, the Incredibles, Ratatouille. Then he did M- Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol and Tomorrowland. That's his filmographer. I thought Ghost Protocol was. What's his name? No, you're thinking of Mission Impossible 3. That's J.J. Abrams. I think it was just called Mission Impossible 3. Wow. He must have just he must have been a producer, though, on Ghost Protocol. Yeah, and then there's also Rogue Nation, which came out. which <sighs> uh, a hunk of garbage. They, yeah, they are on the fifth movie. They're on, their next one will be the sixth Mission Impossible movie, which is crazy because Tom Cruise has been making those movies for literally 25 years at this point. Uh, not not and by literally I mean not literally. Oh, we gotta watch Hayao Miyazaki at some point too. Oh, Miyazaki would be really interesting. Yeah, dude, we gotta branch out. Okay, so I we mean, should. I, I love where we've been. I love that we've done Tarantino and Edgar Wright. They're two great directors, and I think that we really got. I think that we just wiped the floor. Hmm. I think that we try try to go as diverse as possible with our next group and really try to expand our boundaries. I agree wholeheartedly. Let's do it. Let's fucking do it, man. All right. So check out the uh, – keep your eyes on the forums, guys. The other stipulation here is we are going to be going on a break. So we will not be back next week. We will be back probably in a month, I'm guessing. Yeah, four weeks to be solid. I should be yeah. fine. I'll just – you might hear some crying in the background. <laughs> yeah, so Levi's got to go on his paternity leave. And uh, first of all, i also just like to say congratulations, Levi. I'm very excited Thank for you. you. Uh, this is going to be exciting. It's an exciting journey, man. 
the babies. The I, baby I journey. I need to come up with an internet baby name to refer to them with, like oh, Jesse yeah. did with Russell Nisha. Like Russell Nisha. So let's also do a, a survey uh-huh. for that. Maybe you should just go with the Seahawks theme and do like uh, Beastarella. <laughs> or a little beast mode, man, because, you know, Lynch just retired. Well, that'd be nice. I was thinking for direct, like, we should really pick a director, like somebody super Maybe. famous. Maybe. Who knows? All right. So this is this is obviously winding down, folks. But we are going to be <laughs> taking about a four-week break. Keep your eyes on the forums. I'm going to be active on there. Uh, we will be posting our survey on there for the next director in the very near future. Thank you for coming on this Edgar Wright journey with us. Uh, Levi, you got anything else for the peeps for the next month before we come back? No, just listen to Bald Move. Those guys are going to still be doing commission podcasts. They yeah. usually do like one a week. So yeah, you can get you can get for that's just for movies yeah. on top of whatever TV shows they're they're watching and yeah. I'm going to highly recommend go uh, subscribe to the Bald Movies feed on your iTunes or on your podcast player of choice. The Bald Movies f- feed they are just uploading movie content on there all the time and now they're doing first run movies which is awesome so they did um hail caesar last weekend they're doing deadpool this weekend so yeah subscribe to bald movies satiate your thirst and we'll see you in a month until then i'm eric i'm levi cut